It's got to be one of the biggest falls, I reckon, that I've seen. It was insane. Like, he just... It's like he was a cannonball across the front of the bunch. Yeah, it was not pretty. Oh, crashes are always so much worse at the front. They, and they tell you, like, stay up the front, and then you stay away from the crashes. Stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. No, not this time. And then a Polish missile <laughs> flies across. I kind of feel sorry for him. Oh, oh, I think you might be the only one. We better get this going. <laughs> Hello, we are here for another episode of The Wheelhouse. We're in the bunker. I am Kate Bates and I'm not joined by my usual sidekick, Joel Spreadborough. Following the Brisbane Cycling Festival, he's taken home the spicy cough. Uh, Sending all our wishes to Joel for a good recovery. So you know what? Because it's cobbled classic season, right? So stuff goes wrong all the time and you have to have a plan B through Z. Um, Thankfully, our plan B is a pretty solid one. And I've dragged uh, Merxy into the bunker. Yeah, it's good to be here. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So today we are actually controlling the show live from the bunker rather than uh, from the control room. I mean, I guess you've always known that you were on the bench, uh, Merxy. (laughs) Are you race fit? How are you feeling? Uh, Race fit? Yeah. No, no, I am not. I am not race fit. Let me just cut to my camera here. (laughs) No, no, I'm not race fit. Um... But, you know, it, bear with me if something goes wrong. It's because uh, this is not my day job. I'm filling in for Joel. I hope you get better, Joel. But gee whiz, mate, quick recovery. Yeah. Well, now, before we um, dive in, we've got a pretty big week coming up. Pog, he reigns supreme in what was an absolutely chaos-filled Flanders. You can't beat Kapeki. The Belgian, she does it again, two on the trot at Flanders. We've got a growing injury list, uh, unfortunately, but you know what? Excitement is building because we've got an Easter Paris-Roubaix coming up. So lots on. Uh, before we dive into it, Merxy, we did the Brisbane Cycling Festival family ride the other day. We did. Wasn't it fun? The whole family was there. Um, it was. A nice little jaunt across the Story Bridge, which in Brisbane, it's like equivalent to the Harbour Bridge in Sydney or oh, I don't know what the Melbourne equivalent is. No, I don't know either. Don't it's a know big one Melbourne over. Bridges. It's a big one over the water. I don't know what it's called, but it was very cool. We also went through uh, a lot of the bus tunnels and stuff under the city, which normally yeah. you don't have access to. So, I enjoyed that. Yeah, our little guy did a did a pogacha. Just dropped us all. We had to he chase did. after him. Well, he had a um, he had a little world champions jersey on that we got at the Wollongong World Championships there last he year, is. and uh, one of the riders as he flew past said we've got the world champion and uh he thought he was tom pidcock uh and given his name is tom i think that we should now hand him the nickname feathers, <laughs> feathers <yeah. laughs> well, you're right. probably more appropriate than piddles which That's is right. what i thought um he should he should be called but before we go to roubaix we've got to get on the uh the wheelhouse private jet and jet over to Flanders, grab ourselves some fritz. That's a and that's a mayonnaise. that's a Joel uh, reference there on the the wheelhouse jet. I'm still tired, honestly, from Flanders. We stayed up, watched the entire race on flow bikes, and uh, <laughs> I am still tired. I'm still recovering 
from Flanders. I think I'm tireder than uh, Tade himself. I think that's possibly a competition, actually. Who's it more exhausting for, the riders or the Australian fans who stay up till ridiculous o'clock? It is tough being a cycling fan (laughs) in this country with the horrendous time zones, I tell you. It certainly certainly is. But, I mean, Pogacar's dominance, that to me was something... He's so young that you almost think that nothing is unachievable for him given um, the amount of races he's won in his young career. But to outdo Vanderpol so mm. clearly in the cobbles, that to me just took his performance to another level. I mean, everybody has their opinion. I guess that's the beauty of having our own show, isn't it? That it gives us a platform <laughs> exactly. for our <laughs> for Well, our I was interested in some comments, uh, well, from Eddie, Eddie Merckx himself. Who's, and even Matthew Vanderpool suggesting that this bike rider could win them all. Ooh. Even Parry Roubaix, which he's not currently suited to. But uh, that's that's a big call. Thoughts? Yeah, it is a big call. I I mean, I'll note that um, the POG isn't even entered for Parry Roubaix. So, you know, there's that. He obviously doesn't necessarily back himself just yet. Um, but I do think that he's shown more versatility than anybody could have imagined um, through it. And and I did notice at the end of the day that Vanderpool said the strongest man always wins mm. uh, in Flanders. And, you know, so that was Pogacar. I mean, I suppose in monuments you don't really ever get lucky and just win. No, but, I mean, interesting, I, I listened to another podcast uh and in that show, they said that, you know, if Vanderpool didn't get dropped in that first uh, 40K, he, he was in that second, mm, in that second yes, group. Yes, His team then had to get him back on. And uh, it was uh, Hincapi, actually, George Hincapi. And he said he burnt a match. He burnt a match getting back on to that front group. And that shouldn't have happened. And uh, he reckons that uh, that might have sealed, you know, him not not winning the race, the bike race. Well, look, not to go against what uh, the great George Hincapie would say, but Vanderpool said that his powers were phenomenal. He was at PB Powers. Yeah, it was his fastest Flanders ever. Yeah. And uh, it was the fastest Flanders overall ever, which is incredible. Well, so was it really that first 40K? I don't know. He he said... um, in the Tour de, Tour of Flanders, the strongest rider always emerges. Mm. But Wout van Aert, I thought, was interesting. He had a didn't have the, the oh, best day. I'm, Poor me. I know. <laughs> Poor you. No, no. Actually, while we're on that, before we talk about Paul Wout, I picked Nielsen Paulus. You he did. He was fifth. What an effort from the American. Incredible. Got to say, I love that. Now, yeah. Wout van Aert said. The legs have spoken. Mm-hmm. Probably not in this kind of accent. The team deserved at least a podium. I'll turn the page and focus on Roubaix. What a team player. Oh, I right? know. I, I mean, as if as if you, we, everyone didn't love him enough, right? Right. Oh, He's just, he really is emerging as quite a lovable character, oh, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. And not just because of the thick head of hair he has or... <laughs> The broad okay. shoulder, anyway. If I'm in the control room, I'd say, moving, <laughs> moving on. on. Uh, no, but it, I think Pogacar has changed the dynamic where everything is Vanderpool versus Van Aert and mm-hmm. introduced a third character. The big three. And 
also because he said there's no point coming to the finish with both of them because mm. he'll always get third. And so it just means that people aren't just waiting for Vanderpool and Van Aert to ride off. He's having to be quite uh, proactive in forcing the pace. Not every team took the same approach, I might add. No. I mean, it was so impressive to watch. And, um, you know, when he rode away that last time, I mean, my adrenaline was just pumping. I mean, <laughs> I, I, my favourite bike race outside the tour is is, is Roubaix. But um, i got to say, that, that, that race was incredible. I was buzzing the next day. I'm still paying for it now. But uh, it was extraordinary. Well, what a uh, what a week then when they're your two favourites, right? Exactly. Big happy Easter yeah. present. Yes. We've actually got some um, Easter eggs here in the studio. And um, I just want to point out a, a funny little thing I learnt yesterday. Now, in Australia, we swap chocolate Easter eggs. Everything is chocolate for Easter, right? In the US of A, hello, George Hincapi, we know you're mm-hmm. a listener. Uh, they swap plastic eggs that are filled with candy. So they're light on the chocolate. I only just learned that. How bizarre. Anyway, we've got some chocolate eggs uh, in here, so we'll have to ride those calories off uh, because we plan on eating a lot of them, especially when the nerves are getting us around Roubaix. Uh, I want to talk about and get your thoughts on this too. I'm a bit of an old school um, cycling follower and, and athlete, of course. Now, Team DSM... They had these negative tactics where mm. they slowed um, on the hill. They slowed right down so nobody could get through to the point where riders were literally walking their bikes up the hill. Yeah, appalling. And only to then attack. So then when they attacked, half of the people were still doing standstills mm. um, and whatnot. Now, I was watching and as you witnessed at the time, I was getting very frustrated with it that I thought it was ridiculous um, Matthew Vanderpool had a bit of a funny work week on social media and he commented on it and just said, chapeau, DSM. Chapeau, I saw that. A little bit of sarcasm dripping there. Daryl Limpy jumped in. He's riding with Israel Premier Tech and he said, ain't nobody got time for this. Mm. A little bit of attitude from Daryl Limpy. What do you think? Because I don't like it, to be frank. No, I, I think it was a you know a bit of a black mark on the bike race. Um, it's it's not good sportsmanship. No, it isn't. And uh, and in fact, I think further down the back, it, it could be actually dangerous. You know, so I just think it's uh, yeah. I didn't like it. It it took a bit of the shine off off the race uh, for me. I was disappointed. And yeah, I don't think it's sportsmanlike. Yeah, interesting because you know the other counter opinion I saw that I wanted to bounce off you is people saying. These guys are paid a lot of money to win a bike race. As long as it's within the rules, and let's be honest, the UCA has a lot of them, mm. um, that any tactic, that's just smart. It's just like good on them if they if they can get to the front and try something. No, I, I disagree. I mean, sure, yeah, it's, it's within the rules. But mind you, they are looking at it. But after, uh, you know... Uh, people complaining and, and um, other people in the peloton throwing shade at DSM. Mm. Uh, but no, I don't like it. I think uh, it's just not it's just not sportsmanlike. It's just and not it's, sportsmanlike. No, no, that's that's my view. Well, the UCI have a lot to look at, don't they? They do. The crash. <laughs> we we must talk about the we crash. Must. Uh, we were uh, 
We nearly, we were throwing things at the TV when that happened. That was it was extraordinary, mind blowing, wasn't it? Uh, and took out a lot of great riders. Uh, my favourite, Peter Sagan, DNF. Oh, his it's, last. It's taken Flanders. you this long into the show no, to no, mention no, him. No, no. I thought you might open with it somehow. No. Um, <laughs> what do you reckon? Well, so Philip um, Maciejuk, young Polish rider in his second year in the World Tour, rides for Bahrain Merida. Had an absolute Barry Crocker. He's gone up the inside and thinking he could improve his position in quite a critical part of the race, uh, only to find himself half a wheel deep in a puddle in trying to correct himself back into the bunch. It's literally like a Polish missile. Mm. And um, one of the riders described it as, as though somebody just threw a bowling ball straight into the middle of the peloton. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah. yeah. Riders just coming down left right and centre. Um, he ended up getting disqualified thanks to uh, – now, look, I didn't bring the entire UCI rule book in here today. I've just <laughs> d- removed an excerpt. Article 8.2, which essentially allows for the disqualification of a rider for improper or indecent behaviour, um, including putting other riders in danger. I might also note that this article um, also includes should a rider urinate – um, oh. On another, that is also that's a literal example in the in the articles. Is that dangerous? Thank you. Though? No, but that's improper. Do you see? So improper or indecent, or putting others in danger. Well, that that's funny you say that because that did happen to Sagan once. It did. He got it? urinated yes. on. I think in the that, peloton. I don't think that was purposeful. Perhaps when it comes Good to Good Lord, if it was purposeful, <laughs> it should be season ending. Indeed. Well, okay. So Philippe uh, Machayuk, he was disqualified from the race. But mm. I guess it opens the question up about was it purposeful? Does it matter if it was purposeful? Well, it does matter. Uh yeah, and it certainly it clearly it wasn't purposeful. Um he he just ran out of bike path. Well, he, nobody he, wants he, to be the most hated man in the world tour, do they? No, especially uh, especially with, with social media. And he, he copped it on social media. Well, he did apologise though, right? He did apologise. Um, but he pulls off that move on television and we're going, wow, bike skills, what a great move. It happens all the time. And in Flanders, any advantage you can get, you know. And in a lot of the classics, they ride in the gutters, you know, they jump on the footpath, which is technically against the rules. And this is what annoys me when uh, the rules are broken and nothing, no injuries happen or no crashes happen. It's overlooked. It's only, uh, you know, he's only disqualified if something bad happens to other riders. Mm. Yeah, if he had have just jumped back up, made it back, no incident, he wouldn't have been disqualified. No, no, not at all. And that's the problem, I think. The rule has to apply every single time and not just when there's a, a horrific crash. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think rider safety is a massive thing for the UCI to try and tackle and for the teams and for the mm. riders. But it shouldn't just take rules, to be honest. It shouldn't matter whether he felt that his action was, to quote, improper or indecent mm. behaviour, bit of a catch-all, it's kind of just respect, right? And yeah. responsibility toward yeah. your colleagues. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Michael Matthews is someone throughout the year, a number of times he's said, 
you know, there's a lack of respect in the peloton um, more than ever. I just think if he makes that, if he jumps that puddle and gets back in with the bunch, that's in the highlight reels. And we're yes. all going, how cool is this guy? It didn't work out for him. Um, of course, it's not the result he wanted. Uh, and I actually, I feel sorry for him. Well, here's a question. If he had have stacked it and brought all those riders down, but actually had have fallen himself and had quite a serious injury, do you think that they would have disqualified him and everybody would hate on him as much? Yeah, I do. I still think they would. I think the fact, I mean, he's, he's taken out Wout. I can't he's, believe he didn't throw something at the TV. He, <laughs> he, he got back up though. Um, but he took out Sagan. He took out... Uh, Lulu, Alaphilippe. He did. Well, uh, gosh. That you know, I, I mean, and 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 the the four times uh, broken collarbone of uh, who was that? Yeah, Tim Wellens. Tim Wellens. I UAE. mean, poor guy. Oh, that was that was that was one of the toughest ones to watch. He got up, stood up, so you kind of felt like, okay, he's all right. But then he walked over, grabbing it, and lay down in obvious such pain. And it actually, there's been quite a like a flow on. Um, ben Turner from Ineos is out with a radial fracture of his left arm. Mm. Luke Rowe put on social media, and I'm pretty sure that they're getting pretty vocal about it on social media because they want everyone to know the broad impacts of this. Mm. So Ben Turner will be out for Flanders and a little bit longer. Luke Rowe says that's a massive loss for the team. Um, and we can discuss, you know, whether they have any hopes for, for Roubaix anyway, but the really big one is Intermarche Circus Wanty. They lost three riders, two of their biggest, right? Taco Vanderhorn and Biniam Gourmet, both out with concussions, with head injuries. Aim De Ghent out with a broken elbow, all from that yeah, one incident. Yeah, one incident. But, you know, they can't fence the whole course. And if there's an opportunity to to get a few places ahead, you know, by, by going up the side, I mean, we've seen it year after year after year. It was really unfortunate, um, you know, but again, I feel for him. Of course he didn't mean it, but thankfully, you know, it wasn't worse for anyone. No. Yeah, you're right. Thankfully, everybody to a degree did actually, uh, did actually get up, but I'm, I'm Peter Sagan, he DNF'd. So I know, sorry his last Flanders. He's, I know, you actually had him as a smoky. Um, oh, every that? race every is race. a smoky for me. <laughs> and I reckon if he didn't crash, he probably would have won, you know. Yeah, well, no. I, I, I'm, I don't, only, I'm kidding. I, I don't, don't I don't think you are. I actually <laughs> also don't think that we need to guess who your pick for uh, Roubaix is. But um, before we get to Roubaix, the women's tour of Flanders was equally as thrilling. And I can report that over a million viewers just in Flanders region alone – um, so not the the French region, the Wallonia region of uh, Belgium. They have 11 million citizens, 11 and a half. Over a million people were watching the women's Tour of Flanders. Yeah, it's fantastic. 1.5 million it, in the Netherlands were watching. Yeah, and we've, we've seen it with the, with the Tour de France uh, avec Zwift. Mm. If you put it on, these f- athletes are incredible. And I actually like the the style of bike racing in the women's peloton. You know, it's a different style. It's it's, it's a, a different form of entertainment. Um, but yeah, I mean, the numbers don't lie, and it's super super entertaining. One thing I did read that was disappointing was that uh, 
after the men's finished, there was a bit of an exodus of fans at the finish line, which is disappointing, I think. I reckon probably they were reckon. all probably too boozed, there was to a be lot honest. Of, <laughs> there was a lot of booze. But but we got to talk about uh, the dominance of SD Works. Yes, Lotta Kopecky, two on the trot. Uh, she won it last year. She had the Belgian Champions colours on when she did so. That was like, ha ah, That was yeah. a beautiful moment. I didn't think she'd go back to back because I didn't think anyone would let her go back to back. Mm. Um, a bit of talk at the beginning about Annemiek van Vloten and whether she could uh, do it again, but she had a had a crash and she did finish uh, to her credit because uh, this is the kind of race where if you crash and you're out of contention, you almost have to be a little bit cray cray to continue to the end. But I'm mm. pleased to say she did yeah. because she's her. Uh, but Lotta Kopecky won easily. Yeah. Uh, in second, Demi Vollering coming in for ST Works, another one too. Um, there's a lovely photo of them drinking champagne together on the podium. Seems they've smoked the peace pipe after <laughs> Strata Bianchi. Yes. Oh, good to see. Good to see. <laughs> it is. Well, and look, I thought the most interesting thing, though, was actually Longo Borgini, who finished in third, the Italian champion uh, who rides for Trek, because she's had COVID and she's been out and it's taken her a lot longer this season to get going because of that mm. um, COVID. So oh, coming into Paru Bay, it's pretty... Oh, it'll be a cracker. Pretty good one. Yeah. I read after the race, though, Grace Brown on social media, pretty cranky. Uh, Had a cranky pants yeah, on. Yeah, she did. TV. It was, um, <laughs> she was talking about the Koppenberg. I mean, that famous climb. But she doesn't reckon it uh, adds much to the women's race. What do you What do you think? No, she's not a fan. I don't know if her... So there was a tweet um, by a British journo... Um, and he said, Liana Lippert struggling to get back on her bike. She was slipping around. She rides for Star, slipping around on the Koppenberg and pretty much blocking the way. So not like DSM did on purpose, but just carnage in the rain, yeah. horrendous conditions, which meant that a lot of the riders had to get off and walk. A couple of, Only a couple got through. Yeah, it happens. With 45k to go in the race and... They were talking about that. And and Grace then replied and said, you know, you have to question whether this even adds anything to the race. And I have to think that perhaps Grace Brown is just not having the classic season she hoped for mm. and is feeling pretty frustrated. Yeah. Because if you stand back, it's such an iconic climb. And if they removed it from the women's race, I would be a loud voice saying this is ridiculous. Yes, I like, know you would. <laughs> yeah, but come on now. Like, why Why is it good for the fellas and not good for the women? No, absolutely. Uh, it's only 600 metres. Only. Only, only. 600 metres. Mm. It maxes out at 22%, though. So when it is raining, that is going to happen. I think that they should definitely keep it in. Mm. I just think that when it is raining and they are kind of crappy conditions – the riders need to know that if they're not on the front row, near the front row, they should expect that something could happen in front of them. Yeah, no, totally agree. Like it's that, it's kind of that simple, but I don't know. There's always this debate again about, and it's almost the same as the DSM debate to kind of bring it full circle to that. Like should the best, physically the best person win the bike race mm. or is it about, even getting to the finish in the first place or 
tactics or where you put yourself in the bunch and mm. strategy and all that sort well, of stuff. Well, SD Works used that moment to their advantage big time, didn't they? Well, they're smart, SD Works. I mean, they've got some really good leadership in the car. In fact, um, their head director, Dunny Stum, was an Olympian um, world medalist many times over in the Madison. So an exceptionally mm. smart rider. He rode with, he rode with Robbie Slippens. Uh, for their whole career, and they were both incredible strategists. And you saw it time and time again at World Championships that it didn't matter the different pairs they were racing with. They always found a way uh, to change up how they would ride, taking laps, getting sprints, getting points. And I think with him in the car, he'd be pretty agile. Yeah, and that's what's so cool about that bike race. I mean, you can be sure uh, when uh, in the men's when uh, Matthew Vanderpool caught back, uh, you know, napping in that second group, mm. the team cars would have been saying, pedal to the metal, he's back there, don't let up. Yes. You know, I mean, that's what's so cool about this race. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Well, Tactics. Tactics. I mean, so where do you need tactics the most in a bike race? In the whole season, where do you reckon tactics come into play the most? How do you mean, sorry? Like, Paris-Roubaix. I'm trying oh, to segue smoothly. Segue. I See, we're do, missing Joel. I didn't do, <laughs> we're, we're, I didn't do we're that very smoothly. We're missing you, Jolly. No. Oh, that's, my, that's on me. Boom dish. <laughs> how, am I, how am I going, by the way? You're, you're uh, doing excellently. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. You're doing, you're doing a better job than the goats are on the Arenberg Forest, getting yeah. rid of the, uh, the grass and the moss. I reckon that they've left a little bit behind and the riders would want to watch out this week. 40 goats they used. Was that... Uh, <laughs> Was that your segue to Barry Roubaix? <laughs> it was. How was it? Oh goodness me! A little bit, little bit uh, goaty. Get, no, that, get that well quick, Jolly. <laughs> my goodness. No, no, but uh, Roubaix. I mean, it's been my favourite uh, bike race for a long time, and this one is going to be a cracker. Should we? Should we? Uh, dig it into off with it. The men's. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's dig into it. Well, We've got 257 kilometres worth for the we men's. Do. But before we do that, can I just do the, uh, the the thing that Joel does? This is the Wheelhouse podcast. <laughs> Coming to you live from the bunker. Yes. Coming to you live from the bunker. <laughs> I'm uh, Mercy Luke Mears and uh, this is Kate Bates. And we are unpacking. <laughs> uh, we've just unpacked what's happened in Flanders. We're heading a little bit south. We're over the French border now. We're gearing up for Roubaix. Roubaix. Paris Roubaix. It is known quite uh, fondly, I suppose, as the hell of the north. Hell of the north. Which just means we're going to be just as tired next week. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Bad news. Worse, because the Uh, women race on Saturday and the men race on Sunday. That's right. Yeah. So So we've got two ridiculous o'clock. Blackout blinds and a lot of, uh, of, of coffee the <laughs> yes. next day. Oh, Indeed. Gosh. Well, look, I this year, so normally I guess I'm in expert commentary roles, right? But mm. this year um, we didn't have a studio hosting uh, with SBS4 Paris-Roubaix. So instead of, you know, diving into all the, the really expert-based numbers and tips and tricks, I found myself going down a rabbit hole um, about the Arenberg family. So the uh, Arenberg Forest is the most treacherous cobbled section in the Paris-Roubaix. Now, the women do not race over it. We can save that for a moment. 
Um, I'm sure you know my opinion on that. The men do, and it is the most treacherous section. Now, I have learned <laughs> that it is named the Arenberg Forest because uh, it was owned by the Arenberg family, who are royals, um, noble family related to the Habsburg Empire. Uh, so very important family in the region. And the region, um, as a result of that, has played a huge role historically um, including in some, in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. Goodness me. The whole area That is a been, deep dive. It is, has been really preserved. And that's one of the reasons why uh, it's such an important historic area for France and for this race because mm. uh, every cobble is preserved. They are not allowed to pave over it. They are not allowed to re-cobble it to be better. Uh, it is absolutely kept like a heritage listing. Mm. So that's pretty is, cool. It is cool. So there you go. There's my uh, bit of a history lesson. History there. lesson for us. And the first time the word noble has been used <laughs> on the wheelhouse bike. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Uh, let's go, ladies. Yes. All right. Well, let's start with the ladies. Esty works. Ooh, what, I mean, who's going I don't to know. beat her? I don't know. That, I mean, good question. Given what we've seen so far in the season, but our winner from last year, Alyssa Longo Bolgini. Uh, She's in pretty good form based on her third in Flanders. Now, she has had COVID, as I mentioned, um, but I think that Trek come in with a pretty good team. And at the end of the day, to win Paris-Roubaix, you need to have the most team members left at the critical parts of the race. So it's an extra 20K this year for the women. So it's up to 146K. There's 29 kilometres worth of cobbled sections. They don't go over... Uh, the Arenberg, but they do go over two five-star cobbled sections, the Mons en Pevelle and the Carrefour de l'Arbre. See, so now what I've, was that last one? Carrefour de l'Arbre. Oh, I like that. I've saved – see, I torture Joel with the pronunciation. I'm not saying any of them. On your first, uh, I'll <laughs> leave you out of that. Uh, I think it's interesting to consider that Mariana Voss hasn't been at her best so far uh, this season, she sat out Crossworlds because she had some surgery on an artery in her hip. So she's just building uh, up towards it. Is Lotta Kapeki perhaps a little bit fried? Um, or is she on a winning boost? Either, depending on how she would go, either would be explainable. Mm. But, but who, I think who's, it would, your, who's your tip though? Who's my tip? I think that I realistically have to look... At, uh, I'm going to, no, you know what? I was going to go predictable. I'm not. I'm going for Lucinda Brand. Oh, smoky. Yep. Trek rider. Uh, she was third last year. She was cyclocross world champion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in the past, she's got the skills. She's got the form. Flies a little bit under the radar. That's who I'm going for. I like that. Uh, we've, I don't know how many Aussies are on the start list because a start list is, Incredibly hard to come by, which is disappointing. Mm. Uh, FDJ, we have Grace Brown out there. Um, but sadly, they lost Vittoria Guazzini this week to a pelvic fracture yeah. in their Paris-Roubaix recon. Yeah. So that's, that's going to reverberate through the team in terms of confidence. And, and that's a big blow for them. Alex Manley from the Aussies has been getting better uh, in these kinds of races, as has Ruby Roseman Gannon. I called last year that I reckon she could be the first Aussie woman to win Paris-Roubaix. That would be a big Putting deal. It out there. I don't know that she's there this year, but I think if she gets inside the top 20, 
that we can yeah. keep her on that trajectory. Yeah. But it, it's a bit of an open race this year. And I guess the difference is a lot of people who are wondering, like, why is Annemiek van Vloten not riding Paris-Roubaix? Mm. The big difference between Flanders and Paris-Roubaix is Flanders, the cobbles go uphill. Roubaix, the cobbles are flat. Yes. It is flat. It is windy. Generally, the riders who do well at Paris-Roubaix um, are of bigger stature than some of the riders who might do well in the coming classics, Liège, um, but also in some of the past classics, Flanders. Um, so overall, the bigger framed riders are more dominant in this, and that excludes riders like Annemiek van Vloten in the women and um, Podgy in the men. In fact, yes, he, he said, did say, yeah, he said he needed to, to put on weight mm. and to get stronger hands. Stronger hands. Oh, it does the, the vibration. So I raced a bit on the cobbles uh, in my career. Sadly, no Paris-Roubaix. Uh, Avec Zwift, it's only the third year for that. But it's kind of hard to describe what it feels like on your body for so many hours and the difference. I, I guess if you've been on a sailing boat and you get you stand then on land and instead of feeling mm. much better and grounded, your head actually spins a bit like you can't quite um, get on top of how your body's meant to feel. Yeah. And that's what it's like when you come off the cobbles. So you rattle along the cobbles and you're holding on for dear life and then you come onto smooth road and you feel like it should be a relief and you should feel better. But it also it almost takes your body a bit to catch up you feel a little bit discombobulated and you almost have to pay so much attention for the time that you're racing mm. that you're mentally exhausted. And we all know what that what that's like. Like if you're a bit sleep deprived and you might drop things or leave things behind or whatever. That's kind of what it's like riding uh, yeah. in these cobbled races. There's so much more that can go wrong. So oh. I, I would imagine, yeah, your, your concentration, you know, you, you lapse a bit, you get a bit tired Next thing you can, you know, you're down. If you um, get to the end of a Paris-Roubaix, you've yeah. done well, let alone getting there on front. And um, Such a good bike race. It's such I'm a good so bike pumped. race. Well, we are very excited. Let's talk about the men because you reckon Peter Sagan's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would, I would love him to. I loved the, the year he did win, but no, no, I, I just, there's no big three. That's a, it's a big two. It is a bit. It's very much kind of Van Art versus Vanderpool. But I, I don't know. Was the hex on Yumbo? Like, is that why they didn't win Tour of Flanders? I don't know. Mm. I, I'm wondering whether Wout's form has peaked and he's now out the other side of it. Vanderpool. I don't think his form has peaked. And the big difference, I would say, bearing in mind that Vanderpool has had. You know, he's been on the podium there before. This will be his third attempt at it. Is two years ago, it was in October uh, because mm, of COVID. COVID. Last year, it was one week delayed because of an election in the region. Mm. You might think that that's not significant, but actually it is um, in, in terms of form and everything like that. And so I think we could have a few almost smokies um, come out of this one. I did I did a bit of a deep dive. I didn't just deep dive on the history, I've got to say that. Um, I looked at kind of some of the rider stats. Greg Van Avermaet, he's started 12, he's finished 12, and he's won one along the way. 
But Mickey Shah, he started 12 and only finished 7. So that's not really good odds, is it? <laughs> no. It's not. not but that's <laughs> but that's what like you look at somebody with so so much experience and you think well, it's much better for them because they've done it, they know what to expect out there. Except half the time, knowing what to expect five out of 12 times for Mickey Shah is not a good scenario. <laughs> Maybe not. But we've got um, Caden Groves for Alperson DeConic and uh, Kel O'Brien uh, riding for Jayco Alula. They're making their Paris-Roubaix debut. So that's exciting for them. We don't expect them uh, to necessarily be um, too far at the pointy end. Although, again, I think both of them have the capability a bit later in their careers of doing so. Uh, Durbo, Luke Durbridge, he's also riding for Jayco Alula. So we've got three Aussies that'll be out there in the men. He has had a top 20 before and he's ridden eight editions. So already this will be his ninth. I think he, he's almost like our Matt Heyman. Ah, uh, yes. Luke Durbridge. Yep. Turbo Durbo. They yep. don't call him Turbo Durbo for nothing. <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon it'll come down to a sprint finish in the velodrome? Ooh, I love that. Hard questions today. What a cool ending. I do. Yeah. I'm I'm going to say there'll be a bunch of four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you, because Vanderpool's been in that position before. He didn't win. I know. Uh, uh, I mean, he's got the form, but I think if we look at, Van Bala, he's uh, got the form. Yumbo yeah. um, have so many riders that they can potentially choose from. A real smoky would be Stybar from Jayco Alula. He's a three-time cyclocross world champion, albeit a decade ago. Mm. Um, he's coming into his twilight years as an athlete. He's 37. Um, but he's been in the top 10 six times from nine starts. Wow. I just have a feeling that he's in a position where he can – if he has a good enough day and can be literally in the position um, to be safe, uh, then he could have a good one. I, I guess one of the things to think about with Paris-Roubaix is to succeed, it's not just you, it's your teammates on the bike, but it's also your mechanics who've set up your bike. It's where your mechanics, soigneurs, team helpers are standing on cobbled sections when things go wrong because things will go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it's it's a bit of a different mindset because in a lot of the races, if something disastrous happens, you fall off, you get a flat, you get two flats, generally you pull out. But there's something about Paris-Roubaix that that's like an honour mm. to fall off three times and finish. Yeah. And so people go in with this mindset where they expect – a number of falls, they expect it to get a little bit crazy. And if you're prepared for that, then, you know, let the games begin, so to speak. So to speak. One <laughs> thing I, I do want to talk about uh, is just to explain why Tade isn't suited to this bike race. Right at the moment, uh, it's one that, you know, it'll take him a, a few years to, to sort of target, but he literally has to change his body. Yeah, it's a good... Explain that a little. It's a good question because I actually reckon given his tenacity and his capability, he could run top five in Roubaix, potentially win it depending on luck because that does play into it as he currently is. Mm. But he's got some pretty big fish to fry this year mm. and some pretty big goals and it's a big danger. 
for him because he's not like a native in this kind of territory. Um, but also to pick up what he said, that he needs to put on a little bit of weight. Mm. He's so much slighter than the guys he competes shoulder to shoulder with. Like So at Flanders, if you're talking about Van Aert and you're talking about Vanderpool, they're guys who race you know, toward the 80 kilo mark, mm. maybe a touch under, maybe a touch over. Uh, and they're both over 190 centimetres. So they're big frames. Yeah. Pogacar is 176 centimetres. He races in the low 60 kilos. Like there's quite a frame differential. Yeah. When you think about take out power to weight and just think about raw power, he's got less raw power than Vanderpool or Van Aert. And when you put in the cobbles, and you can imagine lighter frame, you bounce more on cobbles. Mm. Like it's the advantage of um, having a bit of junk in the trunk on the cobbles it keeps junk you grounded. Junk Yeah. Yes, yeah, and so and also it's, there's not as many climbs. Yeah. In it, like. I mean, it the power to weight thing is just negated mm. in Roubaix, and so Pogacar, I do think he can be successful there, but given what he's trying to achieve this season, given what he's already achieved. There's kind of no point. It would be an egotistical risk mm. if he were to do that. And he's got a smart team around him. I reckon he thought about it, though. I reckon he asked. Yeah, but surely, <laughs> you know, down the track, it's got to be something, you know, to win all the monuments and the Tour de France. I mean, Eddie Merckx and Matthew Vanderpool um, reckon he could win everything. I think he could, too. I... I think Milan San Remo might be even harder for him to win than Paris Roubaix, to be mm. honest. But that's got to be something that once he's really achieved some of the other big things that he wants to, he can do more power training, focus more, perhaps gain some more muscle, not worry so much about the power to weight and being as lean for the climbs. Yeah. And he can target that. I reckon not in the same year as he's going to target no, a grand tour. No, but but for him, you know, for the record books. I mean, what I love about him, he wants to win every single bike race that he enters. He does. It's exciting, and he seems to do it, uh, you know, just on instinct, and and I think that's really cool. He I does. He's got a real spark too, and the smile when he's on the podium, like he takes nothing for granted. No matter what he wins. He still gets the joy and satisfaction out of it, which I love. Yeah. It's good for the fans. I'll tell you one thing that is a bit of a problem for me. The new helmet he was wearing. Oh, yeah. No, tuft no out the top. No, tuft out the top. It's You are an avid yeah. helmet yeah, watcher. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, And I think mesh. that was a bit of a trademark. <laughs> and uh, it's well, a bit of a shame. It's a trademark, but I always said that it wasn't particularly aero. And uh, maybe somebody's... No, maybe he got a few uh, in his ear. A, a, a few extra watts by tucking that little tuft in. Oh, look at all count marginal gains. <laughs> marginal gains <laughs> <laughs> um. on the tuft, but yeah, I reckon we're in for a pretty cracking uh, show this weekend. So yeah. we'll have to uh, pre-sleep, maybe. I don't know. Okay, you do the Joel reset. You ready? Yeah. Alrighty, here we go. <laughs> um, I'm Kate Bates, and you are here listening to the Wheelhouse. Uh, we are in the bunker. Joined by Luke Merksy Mears today. Joel's out with a spicy cough. Uh, Merksy, we've covered Flanders. We've covered Roubaix. We've covered the crashes. We've covered the injury list. There's probably a few more that we could add to it. Um, thankfully, no no women uh, were badly injured 
in Flanders. We haven't had any uh, reports of of um, out long term for that. Uh, but we're having um, an Aussie. She's going to poke her head back into the peloton, uh, and that is Sarah Gigante. News of good. her return. Yes, yes. Which is fantastic. She's um, hit social media this week and the team has been behind her saying that for the first time in a while, she's actually able to do a big endurance block, expected to head back to uh, Europe uh, for the European summer to get back racing. So that's fantastic. It's good news, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been quite a while, poor old Sarah. Got, and we're talking, you know, we're talking about all the injuries and all of the crap kind of stuff. So it's good to have that. Um but before we go, um, I want to touch on uh, something quite close to our hearts, and that is Marcus Eno, Beardy McBeard. Um, he's had an accident. He, he was hit by a car while on his bike in Tassie um, a few weeks ago. Now, he is one of the most iconic photo uh, photographers, photographers. Um, we have in the sport. And, in fact, we've got a beautiful photo um, hanging in our hanging house, in our house um, of, the, of the Koppenberg. Um, in fact, that that he took, and um, it's a beautiful, beautiful photo mm. of a lone rider on there as the sun was coming up on the morning um, of Flanders. But he, he's also one of the ago. nicest uh, blokes you'll ever meet, too. He truly is, and and if you're not familiar with Beardy McBeard and you're wondering where he got his name, Beardy McBeard, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get it, then you can uh, you can Google him and find out. Now they they have launched a GoFundMe for him, and we can put the details of that in our show notes. Um, if you have anything to spare, please get behind him because uh, as a freelancer he won't be able to work for a considerable amount of time and he does have a young family. And, um, so that, that kind of thing doesn't come with workers' compensation. Uh, we'll say that. So the cycling community is getting behind him and, uh, you know, so are we. So we're sending all our love, um, to Marcus and his family to, to get well soon. Yeah. Get well soon, Beardy. Now, Merksy, how do you reckon you've, how do you reckon you've gone? How's it been? Did I ask any curly uh, questions? <laughs> it's horrendous. I'm trying to press the <laughs> buttons. I'm trying to read the rundown. And uh, I cannot wait for Joel to get back. If we had, a live, if we had a live crowd, I'd be asking them to, <sighs> um, to, to give you a hand. You reckon you're nervous. They, throw me, they threw me at the Brisbane Cycling Festival in uh, to commentate the um, BMX freestyle oh. tricks. Yes. How'd you go? So... Um, JC Action Sports from the Gold Coast. Uh, yeah, look, that was interesting. I thought and I hoped that there was a trick called the 360 taco or something. It's not a trick. Um, uh, but Silverbike Sam uh, Gibbons, he suggested that he could try and make a trick that where he, you know, folded himself in half to look like a taco. 360 taco. I'm thinking like 360 rotation of the bike, fold yeah. yourself in half to look like a taco. No, I don't. I've not heard of that. Yeah, well, so there you go. I, it turns out my BMX knowledge could do with a little bit of polishing. So well, and your taco knowledge. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you're cheeky. I'm yeah. working on that. All right. Well, look, this has been a wonderful episode. And thank you, Merksy, for your brilliance, not only in production, but being dragged. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, Joel never, ever gets sick <laughs> ever again. Get well soon, Joel. Get well and, soon, And uh, look, please. we are going to park up on the sofa and watch Paris Bay, and we hope that you do the same. And uh, thank you for joining us for another week. We'll see you soon.